Last week, last Sunday morning, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and how our adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ as believers in Christ, as people of God, ought to inform how we view the orphans of this world. That in a spiritual sense, we can identify with the plight of the fatherless and the orphans in this world because we were once that before our Heavenly Father, before Christ adopted us, before God adopted us as His children, as His privileged children through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And as we trust in Christ, as people come to know Christ, as they repent of sin and and turn to Jesus for salvation, their position and status before God changes. It's altered. It's affected. And not only is this relationship alteration effective before God as we are no longer fatherless in the world in a spiritual sense, as we are no longer dead in sin, slaves in sin, becoming sons and daughters of God. But that relationship alteration then also affects the way that we view other believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, everyone who comes to to God through Christ is given this position, this position of, of sonship. Becoming a privileged child of God. And if that is true, then all of us have done, who have done so are, are now brothers and sisters with one another through Christ. In other words, if, if God is my Father, and that same God is your Father, then that has some bearing, that has some impact, some influence on the familial relationship between us as people in God's family. Indeed, we see in Scripture, and we learn in Scripture, and we'll see from God's Word today that the gospel of Christ unites believers to love, care for, and provide for each other as members of God's family. The gospel, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. The gospel unites believers, all believers, to to love and to care for and to provide for each other as members of God's family. So how so? How are we to do this? How are we to love each other? How are we to care for each other? How are we to provide for each other as members of the same family? And we see we see some instructions to that end in Paul's letter to young Timothy. Paul's first letter to Timothy. And so I want to invite you to turn in the New Testament, near the end of the New Testament, to the book of 1 Timothy. Coming right after First and Second Thessalonians. And right, after, right before, as you might imagine, Second Timothy, and Titus, and Philemon, and All short letters that if you're not careful, you'll just kind of skip right over one way or the other. But near the end of our Bibles, 1 Timothy, we're looking at chapter 5. And this is a letter, a short letter that that Paul wrote to to Timothy, whom he considered a son in the faith. A young church leader, a young pastor. And 
instructed him regarding right doctrine or right teaching in the life of the church and right practice for the church. In fact, he tells us exactly about halfway through this letter why he wrote this letter. He gives us a purpose statement. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, although I hope to come to you soon. So Paul telling Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. How people ought to conduct themselves in the house of God. In other words, as the people of God, the gathered people of God. This is how you are to act. And so in light of that instruction, in light of that purpose statement. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And there, Scripture instructs us this way. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so right away here, first part of these instructions, the first couple verses of 1 Timothy chapter 5 are given some some guidance, some direction on how we are to relate to to different people in God's church. Paul gives these four classifications of people, divides people by age and by gender, and and tells us that to regard older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. In other words, we're to treat each other as family. Essentially, what, what Paul is telling Timothy as a leader in the church is if he has something against one of these particular people, against anyone in the life of the church, if, if they're needing to be rebuked, for stepping into sin, for erring into sin, and say for illustrative purposes, we'll say, or displaying envy, or malicious talk toward others, or lack of self-control, all things that Paul specifically mentions in this letter. If, If Timothy, as a church leader, has something to confront, something like that to confront someone in the church about, he's to do it carefully and lovingly, treating whoever it is in the life of the church as he would treat his own family members. Four ladies that were born in the 1950s, together, part of the same family, four sisters, together, became a band and 
produced a song in 1979 that conveys the sort of mentality that I think Scripture is getting at here with the way that we're to regard each other as families. Sister Sledge in 1979, the song, We Are Family. They wrote and they sang, We Are Family. Got all my sisters with me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. Everyone can see we're together as we walk on by and we fly just like birds of a feather. I won't tell no lie. All of the people around us, they say, get this, can they be that close? Just let me state for the record, we're giving love in a family dose. And they were certainly coming at this from a different perspective, a a different circumstance. But the same mentality and the same idea, the same perspective ought to be true for believers in Jesus Christ as, as people of God, as a family of God. In short, Christians are to relate to one another as family. This is what we're called to do, called clearly to do this in Scripture. Christians are to relate to one another as family. And these specific instructions we know from the context of this letter were given to Timothy. Instructions for Timothy, but not just for Timothy, because we're told in verse 7 to give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. In other words, they're for all of us, for all the people of God. So why are we to to regard one another this way? Why are we to treat each other with the respect that we ought to give our own family members? And the reason is, according to God's word, we know this because we are indeed family. Brought together as the people of God. This is spelled out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following. I invite you to turn there with me for a moment. A few pages to the left in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. and Paul is writing about a relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Two peoples that have been characterized by hostility toward one another. Animosity toward one another in that day. Not getting along oftentimes. Seeing themselves as having more uncommon than in common. And Paul writes about how their relationship has been mended, has been brought together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, And called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. In other words, not the people of God. Remember that at one time, you were not the people of God. Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, for Christ is our peace, who has made the two groups one, Jews and Gentiles, made them one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, in Christ, one new humanity out of the two. 
thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, through Christ to reconcile Jews and Gentiles, all people, not only to God, but also to each other. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, and get this, verse 19. Don't check out here. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Those that know Christ, those that have turned to Christ as Lord for salvation, no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, excluded from the privilege of being the people of God, citizens of the people of God. And no longer outcasts, but now members of His household. Members of the family of God. We've gone from being on the outside to, to being on the inside. Same terminology that, that Paul used here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the verse that we looked at moments ago. He instructed them, said, I'm writing you these things so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Not how people ought to conduct themselves in the world, the marketplace, the ball field. No, so people will know how to conduct themselves when they gather together with the people of God. So the people of God will know how to relate to one another in and through Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ unites us. The gospel of Christ unites believers to love and to care for and to provide for each other as members of God's family. So after Paul then has sort of laid this foundation in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, about it's relating to one another as family, he then jumps into a specific example of how we're to care for one another as family in verses 3 through 8. And there we see that Christian families must care for their widows and others who are in need. Christian families are to care for their widows and others who are in need. The day that this was written, in the first century, widows often had a difficult time finding employment, often left needing, desperately needing someone else to provide for them financially, someone else to care for them. The situation is somewhat different today. Insurance income and social security and employment possibilities. But whenever there is a need, financial or otherwise, Christian families are called to care for widows and others who are in need. They are called to care for their own. And there's two layers that we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 of caring for widows. And the first is the actual family unit. The actual home, the actual household, family units we see honor God by caring for each other. 
family units. Honor God by caring for each other. Verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, he should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Skip down to verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch! Paul, tell us how you really feel about this. Children and grandchildren, we have a responsibility to care for and to provide for, to make sure that parents and grandparents and other relatives and our own families who are in need are well taken care of. And I'll be honest, I've been very impressed and encouraged by how many families in this church, in this congregation, in this faith family, represented in this room this morning, are doing just that. The name family after family represented in this church that is doing a noteworthy job of taking care of aging parents, aging grandparents, families in need, and these people who seek to be faithful families in a in a way that is pleasing to God, as verse 4 says. It's Christians who desire to honor God in the way that we relate to one of those in our own families. We ought to make our faith central within the lives of our families. Our faith, what we profess to believe, what we acknowledge is true, cannot be disconnected to how we relate to those in our own family, in our own household. So let's practice our faith with our family. Practice your faith with your family. We're not called to to walk with Christ and to follow Christ, thank goodness, most of the time. We're not called by God's design to do this in isolation. Rarely are we called to do this alone. This is why God has established a community of believers. We're to come alongside other believers and to walk with Christ with them, to grow together with them. And the perfect starting point for that, the ideal starting point for that is in the home. Families practicing their faith together. Families that loving each other in the name of Christ, walking together as they follow Christ. And if we are discipling our children in the home, if we're honoring our parents, we're praying together with our families, if we're serving others together as families, if we're loving our neighbors together, then when needs arise, it will be a natural outworking, a natural overflow to care for those in our families. So let's care for our families in need. Let's care for your relatives in need. Practice your faith with your family and care for your relatives in need. This is what we are called to do, church, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Not too long ago, my three-year-old daughter, Kinsley, said sort of an off-the-wall comment to my wife, Ashley, as three-year-olds often do. One day, she sort of looked at her mother and She said, Mommy, me and Paxton will take care of you 
when you get old. I don't know where that came from, nor do I know where that leaves me, but at least Ashley is going to be well taken care of. But church, we are called to care for our own. We, as Christians, are called to be exemplary in this. The Bible says here that even unbelievers do this. Even unbelievers care for their own, provide for their own. Let's be known as believers. Let's be known as Christians who take care of our own, who take care of our families. And if widows and others in need don't have immediate relatives to care for them and to provide for them, then they should know that their other family will stand in the gap, will fill in the gap, and will ensure that they are well taken care of. Not only do families honor God by caring for their own, but the church honors God by caring for those who are in real need. The church honors God by caring for those who are in real need. This is because the gospel of Christ unites us. Bringing us together. Giving us a common bond that leads to our care and provision and love for one another. One of the things that I love about this church. One of the things that I love about Meadowbrook is the age diversity represented in this faith family. From babies, preschool to youth, senior adults, everywhere in between. The makeup of this church reflects a true family. We could certainly talk about many differences that a number of us might have from life experience to age to personality to likes to whoever we think is the best football team. But there's one thing that trumps every difference that we have. And that is our relationship with our Creator, with our Lord through Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Christ unites us. And the Bible says the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, takes up residence in those who know and follow Christ, those who turn to Christ for salvation. Giving us a a common reference point, something that brings us together. Folks, the Gospel unites believers. The good news of salvation by grace through faith unites believers to love and to care for and to provide for each other as members of God's family. And so, because we are united in Christ, because we are one in Christ, one new humanity, as Ephesians 2 puts it, we ought to practice our faith not only with our families at home, but we ought to practice our faith with each other. So practice your faith with Christ's church. Practice your faith with Christ's church, called to come alongside other believers, called to come alongside other Christians and to walk with other Christians. And church is not simply some place that we go to listen to a choir sing or to hear the Bible taught. There's certainly good and glorifying things to God, but Under the umbrella of glorifying God, the church exists for us to connect with other believers, with fellow believers, with fellow Christians. So that we might build Christ-honoring friendships and relationships. That we might pray together. That we might grow together. That we might serve together. That we might struggle through life together. As a family of God. 
If you consider this church your church, if you consider Meadowbrook your home church, and and you're not involved in a, a Sunday school group or a Bible study group or a discipleship group in this church, and you are able to be, then you ought to be. Because we are called to come alongside each other, to walk together, to grow together, to live in community with other believers together. Let's practice our faith in the church. And lastly, let's care for our fellow Christians in need. Care for your fellow Christians in need. And we care for each other. Why? Because we belong to each other. Because we are family we've been united through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's care for one another, whether that be the young man enduring chemotherapy, the victim of child abuse, or the depressed teenager, or the lonely widow. Let's care for one another. Let's love each other. Let's provide for each other as family because we've been brought together through the gospel bond of Jesus Christ. I'm so encouraged that Our deacons today are putting on a luncheon for widows and widowers. Serving, honoring our our widows and widowers represented in this church. If that represents you, if you've lost a spouse, and even if you have not let them know you're coming, they want you to know that you are welcome. Please come after the service, immediately following the service, to the fellowship hall where lunch will be served in your honor thankful for deacons who are fulfilling the biblical call and biblical role to be servant leaders in the life of the church. Church, let's follow their example. Let's care for one another in the name of Christ. Let's care for each other. Let's love each other because the gospel unites us. Unites us to love and to care for and to provide for each other as members of God's family. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for each day. We thank you for the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. We thank you for a message, a redeeming message that unites believers from every background, every nationality, from every race, Every experience across the age spectrum unites us together into one family. A family of believers who know you as our Heavenly Father. Father, help us to grow as we walk with you. As we seek to please you as our Father. To honor you as our Lord. And as we seek to grow in fellowship with one another. And the implications, the ramifications of what it means to be family. Lord, help us as a church family. Be faithful in following you and faithful in serving each other in your name. May you be glorified in us this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.